They had finally caught him. He had spent the better part of his early years stealing, robbing, extorting, and hurting others. He willingly joined the accomplices in committing these crimes. Did he have any other choice than to commit these crimes? He wanted this all to end quickly, but he knew otherwise since he had seen some of his accomplices meet the same fate years before. And he thought out loud, was this the life I chose? How easy is it for you to make moral decisions? Do you give it much thought? Have you found yourself on the wrong end of a decision made or an action you took? Who's to blame? Someone else? Circumstances beyond your control? Are you the type of person who says, I'm just going to do it and ask for forgiveness later? I remember the comedian Flip Wilson. He's a little bit a few years back, so you might remember. You can, you can YouTube him and Google him. He had this ongoing skit where he was always knowingly and saying the wrong things. And his comeback line was, the devil made me do it. As if it were some form of justification. Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Oh, thank you, thank you. I remember when I first heard that at a church service at a greeting, it seemed as if the pastor was looking right at me, Mike. My initial thoughts were, wait a minute, sinner? You calling me a sinner? Are you calling me out? Hey, I made it to church this morning. Isn't that worth something? It's my privilege and honor to be here with you today in worship. I'm neither a Bible scholar nor a pastor. However, I consider myself a subject matter expert and quite prolific in a specialty that I've been working on most of my life. It's called the art of sinning. See, it's in my heart, it's in my mind, it's in my body, it's in my soul. I'm appalled and ashamed of my past sins. You know, sinning starts subtle. It becomes a way of life. You learn to live with it. It twists and warps reality to fit what you think is normal and okay. You know, I acted like I had it all together. Young, I had no moral foundation to lean on. I didn't go to church. I had no relationship with God. My lens of God was punitive and merely transactional. And all I could think was, how could God even love me, even forgive a sinner like me? If I came to church on Sunday, it was just Sunday only. The rest of the week was my time. Do whatever I want. I carried this baggage from my teenage years, young adult. Sadly, I carried it into my marriage. If it wasn't for Nancy, I don't know where I'd be here today. Thank you, God. She tried everything. She pulled me at anything that had to do with God or church. She was fighting for our marriage. And later on, I learned she was fighting for my soul. My redemption and salvation journey started at age 34, Kaylee and Heath. That's when I started to learn, learn to read the Bible. Not at 13 or 12 or 11 or whatever, 14, at 34. I'll tell you, my journey, it's been a salvation journey. It doesn't happen like a snap of a finger like those Hallmark movies. In fact, it's more like those Lifetime movies. <laughs> I'm still a work in progress. Thanks be to God. But since I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I'm progressing on my discipleship walk, and I've learned a thing or two about sin. See, I thought it was all me. I mean, it was, but I soon found out it wasn't. I learned that I was born a sinner, and news alert, so were each of you, for the Bible tells us so. We're all sinners. 
We can thank Adam for that. And Paul shared that in one of the descriptions of Romans 5.12. It comes from the creation story of Genesis, if you all recall that. This is Paul saying, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that man was Adam, and death came through that sin, so death spread to all because all have sinned. And Paul goes on to share this, this, that we're under this power of sin, that we will all sin and will fall short of the glory of God. And we suffer consequences, consequences for our actions that are far-reaching. And our human tendencies, they lead us to sin to separate us from God. The Apostle James, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 14, he says, we're constantly being lured and enticed by our own desires that birth sin that eventually leads to spiritual death. Our scripture reading from today is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's from chapter 2, 1 through 5. I'm going to read the first part. This is Paul sharing what sin is. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived following the course of the world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we're by nature children of wrath like everyone else. You know, when we declare ourselves a Christian, we undergo this spiritual constant spiritual struggle and battle with our own flesh, our own nature, our own human spirit, as we face the will of the Holy Spirit. The intensity of this struggle varies by our faith, whether we're cold, lukewarm, or hot. But be sure of this, the evil enemy has one goal in mind and one goal only, it's to separate you and sever you from God. No matter what, don't ever underestimate the enemy We don't like to talk about that church sometimes, Satan. But do we face him alone? He had violated his victims and took advantage of them. He knew he deserved the punishment and could not imagine the pain he had inflicted on them. In his mind, he may have thought why he hadn't tried harder to leave this life of crime. You know, I ask, why do we initiate the sin we partake in and from where do these sins dwell? Our sins are often self-inflicted And they alienate our relationship with God, but quite often they hurt the ones we love the most. But first and foremost, we have to realize this. And you've heard it from Mike, and you've heard it from anybody who's taught you in your walk to, to be a Christian. It's not all about you. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. That's something I've heard loud and clear. And I heard it especially on my walk to Emmaus weekend. They remind you of that. That everything isn't about you. See, it's about God and it's about others. If we get that straight, then it'll eventually be about us. Max Lucado has a book I read. It's called He Chose the Nails, What God Did to Win Your Heart. Great book. If you haven't read it, check it out. He shares that throughout Scripture, thorns depict the consequences of our sins. He tells us that the sins are fruit of sins. They're spiny, prickling, cutting. They're slicing and dicing in our mind, our heart, our soul, and our spirit. And he goes on to share this depiction of the, uh, the crown of thorns that Jesus wore at his crucifixion. See, the Roman soldiers meant that as a form of mockery, but not to Jesus, not to him. See, he gladly wore that crown. That crown had the fruit of our sins. He wore it to the cross at Calvary. 
the bloody thorns and thistles that represent our own sins. See, the divine Jesus made a choice following his Father's will, fully knowing the outcome. An outcome that few saw, and to this day, sadly, a few fully understand. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Familiar, John three sixteen and 17. See, I believe God doesn't want to condemn the world. He created it. He wants to save it through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the hope we rely on. That's all we can rely on. But God asks us one thing, just to believe. Believe in Jesus, the great healer, how he taught us throughout the scriptures. And we have it on our walls here. Love your God, love neighbor. And, and if you notice when you read the Bible, Jesus, all, when he's doing some healing, what does he say? Sin no more. Real simple. Simple instructions? Maybe not. <laughs> He found himself stretched across two rugged hand-cut pieces of wood, the weight of his body hanging by the piercing nails, holding his bloody hands and feet tight against the logs. His punishment was well-deserved. The pain was excruciating. But the jeering, the yelling, the cursing, and the spitting was much more than he expected. The Bible tells us we're created in the image of God, and by his mercy and grace, we're called his people, his flawed and imperfect people. Thank you, Father. He gifted us each with something very special. It's called free will. It's the freedom to choose how we live our own life. Is that not one of the greatest gifts he could have given us? But how we use that free will ultimately determines our spiritual freedom from sin. And Paul repeatedly calls out this inherent irony of this freedom. He says, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Paul's own nature He delighted, his inner nature delighted in the the laws of God. But his spirit, his will, was waging war against what God wanted and making him a prisoner of his sin. And he states it so beautifully in Romans chapter 7, 18 and 20. And he says this, this will be familiar to you. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do is what I want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I that do it. It's the sin that dwells within me. That's from Romans 7, 18, 20. See, if we believe God is omnipotent, omniscient, hey, God, why don't you just make the choices? Don't give us free will. Might make life a lot easier. There's a lot of people that believe that. But is that really what free will, what God intended for free will? I especially like what John Wesley has to say about this topic of free will. And it's in one of his sermons, God's Love to Fallen Men. Hear what John Wesley has to say. God saw that to permit the the fall of the first man was far best for humanity, that abundantly more good than evil would accrue to all of humanity because of Adam's fall. He goes on to say, if God is all-knowing and all-powerful, it's also say that he knows what's best for humanity. See, God knew the evil resulting from that first disobedience would not be as great as the good that would come from that same disobedience. Another way of saying that is what was intended for evil, God meant for good. We've read about that in the Bible. We've seen that happen in our own lives. Here's another person I follow, C.S. Lewis. Let's see what he has to say about free will. 
The sin of men and angels was rendered possible by the fact that God gave them free will. This surrendering a portion of his omnipotence because he saw that from a world of free creatures, even though they fell, he could work out a deeper happiness and fuller splendor than any world of automata would admit. See, God didn't create us to be robots, but in fact, breathing, thinking, living, loving beings. And God intended our free will to be our choice, but he really meant it for our own good. He just loved us enough to let it be our choice. The searing pain he felt as his limbs stretched beyond normal caused him to gasp and gulp for air. As he leaned towards the man in the middle, he opened his eyes wide with clarity and gazed onto the man's eyes. And he felt a sense of peace overcome him amid the brutality all around him. It was as if the man looked directly into his soul. See, sin starts in the engine of our life, the heart. Hardened hearts impede good and drive our will to do evil and deprivation that blocks the Holy Spirit. The prophet Zechariah from the Old Testament days, and all the other prophets as well, repeatedly told the people to show kindness and mercy and do no evil in their heart. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs to stop their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint. They would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets, Zechariah 7, 12. And Jesus Christ the Lord, here's what he has to say about that. This is from Mark 7, 21 and 23. He's sharing with his disciples that not what goes in, but what comes out defiles us. And he goes on to say this, for it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, Envy, slander, pride, folly, man, it, the list goes on. And he says, all these evil things come from within. They defile a person. And the Apostle Paul shares in Timothy, in his second letter, Timothy, chapter 2. He's telling Timothy this. Not to be ashamed of sharing and explaining the word of truth to inspire repentance for others to escape from the snare of the devil. Because they've been held captive by the devil to do his will. I can relate to this passage. I'm forever grateful for Nancy's insistence to join a small group so I can start my salvation journey. We were led by a super saint, teacher, mentor, Gene Bridges. Encouragement from other saints, I see them right here, that opened the scriptures for me that revealed a new life in Christ. Those gospel words of grace and truth lit an ember in my heart. See, we know sin hardens us, but grace softens us for the love of Christ. See, where there's sin, their grace abounds more. We've heard that. No amount of sin will diminish the opportunity for grace to prevail. Grace opens the path for God's love to enter our hearts. And upon accepting his grace and mercy, we begin to understand the salvation That's meant for each of us. And Paul shared that in the second part of our scripture today. Listen to what Paul has to say. But God, who is rich in mercy out of this great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. We come alive again. But the best part's the end. By grace you have been saved. That's God's grace, not your own doing. You can't save yourself. Only God can. 
God's love abides in those who are open to the Holy Spirit. Speaking of Paul, if anyone knows about sin, he does. He persecuted and tortured the early Christians, the early followers of Jesus, excuse me. He had the great story on the road to Damascus. He was struck blind, eyes opened to the wrongs he did as if scales fell from his eyes. He constantly reminded us that we should live by and be guided by the Holy Spirit. So then if we do, we can partake in the fruits of the Spirit. You've heard of the fruits of the Spirit. And we do that, we don't gratify the desires of our flesh. And those fruits are familiar with us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, what happens is we undergo this transformation of our hearts as they soften because of these fruits of the Spirit. They begin to overshadow our own fruits of sin that keep us from fulfilling the life God intended for us. In my home office, I had this gift that Nancy gave me. It hangs on a wall. I call it the mirror of grace. It's a mirror, very nicely adorned. But as you go and step up closer to that mirror, it's etched in there. It says, look into your heart. Look into your heart. And on the back, I won't share the whole letter she wrote me, but, but I'll tell you this. In it, it says, there you will find the answers you seek in your heart. See, free will is a treasured gift that's intended for our own good. It's up to us. We truly value this freedom that came at a tremendous cost at the cross. While you're free, while you're free, you may, while your free will may lead you astray, it can open the door for redemption. If only you use that same free will, that same decision to accept the mercy and grace of Christ into your life. But I will tell you, it's going to come at a cost to you. And that cost is leaving your former life behind. And that's not easy. Because when we're mired in sin and we're mired in, boy, it feels good, this is the right thing to do, man, it's hard to leave it behind. That's what we have to do. That's the cost to us. Paul reminds us of this in Galatians 5.13. If you're wondering why I use a lot of Scripture, that's what saved my life, Scripture. So I value it. I value the word of Christ. He says, for you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. In church, we know this. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, true freedom from sin that enslaves us. And as you progress down your discipleship pathway, you start seeing some of the errors of your ways and what sin can do in your life then you realize how important Ephesians 6 is to your Christian faith walk. This is where Paul unpacks his whole armor of God. The kids learn it in, 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 the, in, the, in the WLC and everywhere else. It depicts this where Paul's saying, put on the whole armor of God so you may stand against the wiles of the devil. And you know why he says that? Because we're waging spiritual warfare that no amount of human willpower can battle alone. It reminded me of a great book by Richard Gore called Breathing Underwater, Spirituality, and the Twelve Steps. It's an insightful book tying together biblical insights into the 12-step program. Step three of that 12-step program states the following. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives to the care of God as we understood God. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives as we, to the care of God as we understood God. Turn over my will and my life as I understood God. 
a choice made freely, not coerced, that's the ultimate definition of sweet surrender. Not my will, but your will, Lord. But the last part of that statement got me as we understood God. Personally, one of those aha moments went off in my head. Now I began to understand this concept of free will that God's given me. See, because I believe it might depend on if you view God through the lens of reconciliation or retribution. That may make a big difference in your new life in Christ. Richard Rohr goes on to share that the genius of the 12 steps is that it refuses to bless and reward what looks like worthiness game or mere heroic power or what I like to call human willpower. And with gospel brilliance and insight, the 12 steps says the starting point, in fact, the continuing point is not any kind of worthiness at all, but in fact, unworthiness for the grace of God. So I ask you, church, are we dependent on God just as Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, the part where he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Whose dependence for deliverance are we counting on, your own or God's? Even Paul, the icon of our faith, repeatedly asked and finally succumbed to the realization that God would not remove the thorns from his side. And God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made in perfect weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul's realization and response was, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, there it is, church. That's, that's the essence of it. Humility, finally. Humility at its best, at its finest. Finally relinquishing our own will to the sovereign will of God. His accomplice hanging opposite cross had nothing but contempt and joined in the jeering and mocking of the man in the middle. Something compelled the man on the cross to speak out against the other accomplice. Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed have been condemned justly, for we're getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, 41 and 43. Well, hopefully by now you already know what the story is about. The man in the middle is Jesus Christ. From the crucifixion story. The man on the left, left, he practices free will. He said, I don't believe he's the Messiah. The man on the right, however, he made a choice. See, something came over him and he recognized his own faults and knew the demise of his, was his own undoing, yet he relinquished his own will and asked for mercy and grace. You know, I wish when you read the Bible story they tell you more, but this one doesn't tell us anymore. Was there a deathbed confession? Did he truly repent? Did he go to heaven? What we do know is that that man on the cross finally realized that Jesus was a Savior. But as Christians, we know the ending of that story. It's the resurrection story. It's a story of our own lives as we leave behind the old and put on the new self. You know, it's difficult for most to grasp the completeness of this story. But to those that do, it is a lifeline. For the message about the cross It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, 1 Corinthians 1.18. Church, hear the good news. There's always good news. Free will is a treasured gift. It's intended for our own good. Our salvation only comes by the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. While we were born sinners, we're not doomed, thank God. 
we can indeed break away from the shackles of sin that bind us and make us into new creation only, only by the sovereign will of God, not our own human will. So I say to you, whether you're a saint or a sinner, there's a place for you in God's church. Saints to be mentors and teachers and supporters. And sinners like me to find a place to belong. So we can work out our faith at the cross, surrendering our lives. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. So I ask you today, as you approach the communion table in a few moments, honestly ask yourself this. Am I finally ready to leave all my sins at the cross? And am I willing to always accept the forgiveness, the mercy, and the grace of Christ? But more importantly, whose will will you ultimately follow, your own or God's? Keep in mind, your decision does have eternal implications. But remember this, only by the grace of God do you get to decide because he's given you free will. Thanks be to God.